This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, is out this week. So today we return to a popular creature comforts topic, bird migration. Just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the southbound movement of birds. Now with the autumn equinox, the first day of fall, just around the corner, the fall migration of small land birds and some other birds as well continues in earnest. So today we're going to talk to our friend biologist Joe McGee to let us know which birds can be seen around the state. Dr. Majors here, ready for your pet questions. Join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. If you miss Creature Comforts ever on its Thursday morning broadcast, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning, Joe. Thanks for coming in. We appreciate you helping us out when uh, Libby is out. Glad to be here. If you would, uh, you were telling us all a funny story, so if you could uh, repeat your your frog adventures from last night. Okay. Uh, I'd gone to bed last night, turned out the light, and was prepared for you know, a nice nap. And I heard a rustling sound in my room. I thought it was in my bedroom, but I wasn't sure. I couldn't find it. I got up, turned on the light, couldn't find whatever it was. Get back in the bed, hear it again. This happened three or four times, couldn't find it inside or out. And I thought it would be a, an insect of some kind that was attracted to the lights. The la- on about the fourth time I got up, I saw a dark blob near a baseboard coming out from behind a bookcase, and it looked aw- an awful lot like a frog. And sure enough, it was a frog, but a, a reflection on my housekeeping uh, <laughs> uh, skills, it was covered with dust bunnies. Oh, gosh. And I couldn't really tell what kind of frog it was, but it looked like a pickerel frog, which is not very common, or at least it's not commonly observed, I put it that way. So anyway, I chased the frog around my bedroom for a while. I had to pull furniture out, and one day it was very skinny. You know, they have prodigious leaps, as frogs do. Finally caught it. And sure enough, it was a pickerel frog. Put it in a, one of my containers I have for things like this. Rinsed it, rinsed the dust bunnies off, really good. And finally, it looked pretty good, and I was able to photograph it. Uh, and I can send you the photographs later if, if you'd like. And uh, sure enough, a pickerel frog. Uh, and I sent the photographs to some folks at the museum. This this is kind of an event to see a pickerel frog, in, you know, out in a pond somewhere, let alone in your bedroom. The question now is, how and why it got in my bedroom. <laughs> That's a fun story, then. It's one of those where I'm sure the frog was just kind of like as freaked out as you Yes, and I had to shut the bedroom door to keep the cats out. I have two cats, and they would have enjoyed all of this, but uh, they didn't get a chance to. All right. uh, Good morning, Dr. Major. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Everything's going good. It's a beautiful day, and I hope the animals think so, too. (laughs) You know, one thing that we talk a lot about on the show is – Heartworms. Uh, pet owners always hear about heartworms and heartworm prevention. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about that. So a, it, I guess a heartworm is a parasite that gets into the pet's heart and lives off of, what, the blood or something? Yes, it does. Uh, heart, heartworms are spread by mosquitoes. Uh, they pick up the baby heartworms, if you will, or microfilaria, 
and uh, stays in the mosquito a little while, and then they transfer it back to the same dog or to another dog. And that's how they're spread. It takes approximately six months from the time that uh, the dog is affected until the time you have an adult heartworm in the heart. And they don't eat on the tissue. They actually survive by absorbing nutrients through the bloodstream. And uh, they can change the heart, the uh, shape of the heart significantly if they're large numbers and certainly can cause problems both to the heart and lungs. Uh, so it's a serious problem. We see them year-round here in Mississippi and definitely recommend heartworm preventive regardless of what you're using to use it year-round. So what are the symptoms, things that pet owners might keep an eye out for to, to maybe see that there might be some trouble down the road? Yes. You know, there are many reasons for a cough, but a chronic uh, cough certainly could be uh, one of the tip-offs that you might have a heartworm problem. Uh, The other thing would be lethargy or tiring easily. Uh, Certainly that could be an indication. Now, when you get into more severe uh, stages, you might see ascites, which is accumulation of fluid uh, in the abdomen and uh, other things as well. We recommend routine physical checkups, uh, heartworm tests at least once a year, and uh, preventive as you choose. There are monthly preventives, uh, which can be given. Always remember to give those at the same time every month. And also there's some injection that can be given for a six-month period or 12-month period, and it's very effective. So you talk about how important prevention is, but are there treatment options should your pet uh, get heartworms? Yes, there are. Uh, there are the treatment options uh, basically involve uh, giving medication to kill the heartworms, uh, and the traditional treatment involves injections. Uh, given Usually we give one injection, uh, wait a month, and then give two injections. In that case, the dog needs to be restricted very well, does not need to be out chasing the cat or the squirrel, uh, probably for a period of six weeks plus, depending on how severe the case was. Uh, and also doxycycline, which is an antibiotic, is also given, and the doxycycline uh, <coughs> helps to remove bacteria that live in association with the heartworm and help in general from the standpoint when the heartworms die, you don't want to have the bacteria seeding the entire uh, system of the dog. So that's that's given in conjunction with the treatment. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a pet question or want to talk birds with our guest Joe McGee, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Let's go to the phone lines. Johanna has called in from Fondren today. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey, uh, this is for Dr. Major. We're trying to foster a dog, Dr. Major, from ARF, and she's, um, she's about 35, 40 pounds. She's full of puppy. My questions, I've got two questions. First of all, I take her out and walk her all the way around the block, all the way around the block, not a drop of pee, not a drop of poop. She comes from inside. She pees and she poops. Uh, the other thing is if she eats dirt and goldenrods, 
And my third question is, she gets like midnight crazy. She runs just just 90 miles an hour, and I've got two older dogs, and I'm thinking, I'm she's a black dog, and I understand they don't get adopted as well as the other dogs do. So I'm trying to wait it out and see if we could just get through sure. some of these things. <laughs> um, okay, how old did you say she was? I think she might be six or seven months. I'm not sure. She weighs like 33 or 35 plus pounds. She may be older. She was found, and so I'm not sure how old she is. But she's, she's a big old dog with big old feet. Right, right. So we don't know the history exactly, other than the fact that she was found. Yeah. Probably had been living on the street or yeah, she somewhere. was starved almost yeah. to death. She was just found. right, right. The thing of the uh, urination and defecation, I would continue to work with her. Uh, it, that is somewhat strange that she won't go on the walks, but this is not totally unusual. Uh, she's probably used to going in the house now, and I would get her out as often as you can, usually immediately within just minutes of the time that she eats, and I would suggest feeding her set, set times rather than leaving food out all the time. Uh-huh. I think that would be a start as far as trying to trying to train her. Also, praise and treats when she does her business outside. Uh, certainly uh, let her know that that's the right thing to do. Uh, you mentioned having, what shall I say, nighttime burst of energy. Oh, yes, yeah, she uh, runs so hard she can knock the furniture over practically. <laughs> right. A uh, couple of things. Number one, sometimes uh, dogs respond to being crated, and this might also help with house training. To actually crater, people don't like the idea a lot of times, but in a crate, most dogs will not uh, soil their area. And like in the morning when you get up, take her out and walk her, see if she'll at least urinate and maybe feed her before you walk, but just get her out as soon as possible out of that crate. And at night, I would use the crate also to keep her from just disrupting everything. That's my idea. There was one other thing that you asked, and I'm trying to remember what it was. She eats dirt. She just picks up yeah. mouthfuls of dirt and goldenrod leaves. Pro- probably has something to do with her survival instinct from, you know, when she was loose. Uh, I would suggest a good vitamin. Uh, there are vitamins available that will help, and I'm sure you're feeding a good quality dog food. I'm so dog food. Maybe vi- helps with it. Maybe vitamins would help uh, just to uh, satisfy any uh, deficiencies she might have. But some of it is probably habitual from when she was out running loose. Good luck to you. I'm proud of you for taking care of her and sure hope that things can work out. Try the crate training for a while and see what that does. Okay? Thank you so much, Dr. Major. Thank you. Thank you, Johanna, for your call. This is Creature Comforts, and it's time for our first break of the hour. When we get back, we'll talk with our guest, biologist Joe McGee, about his backyard observations and the migratory birds that are moving through Mississippi this time of year. Dr. Major will stay on hand, ready for your pet questions. Call with questions and comments. The phone number is one mpb ring It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more, so stay tuned. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. 
This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and our guest for the day, naturalist Joe McGee. If you want to join the conversation with a question or comment, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. We've got Lloyd on the line from Memphis. If, Lloyd, if you'll hold for just a couple minutes, we'll get to your call. Joe, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, always glad to have you on the air. Appreciate you filling in while Libby is out. Um, we talked the last time you were on about early migrators moving southward. What about now? What uh, birds should people be looking for uh, this time of year? With a little patience, they should be able to see some of our wood warblers. These are very colorful birds. I had my dripper on at the bird, and this is a good way to bring the birds down. They're hard to see when they're up in the trees. I had the dripper on my bird bath going yesterday, and I had summer tanagers coming, which they're around in the summertime, but those could have been migrants. I had our, our eastern bluebirds coming. They love a good bath, you know, in the bird bath wrens, and then some smaller birds. I believe I had white-eyed vireos uh, coming to the bird bath. Heard a number of chip notes, but I was kind of busy yesterday, and I didn't get the binoculars out and, and uh, you know, track those down. But a good one to see this time of year is a, a black-throated green warbler. Uh, another one is one that actually breeds in Mississippi, but migrants come through as well as the American red star, and it's a little bit different. It, most of our, many of our warblers have a lot of yellow on them. The American red star, the male anyway, is orange and black. Very different. You'll know a red star as soon as you see it. So those are some of the things I've been seeing. Red starts, white-eyed vireos. I heard uh, uh, red-eyed vireos and yellow-throated vireos, and it's kind of unusual. They don't usually sing this time of year. Uh, but in the warbler category, uh, as I said, uh, black-throated green warblers, uh, yellow warblers, there is a, actually a warbler called a yellow warbler. It's mostly yellow. Uh, and I've been hearing common yellow throats. That's another one of our little warblers. It's, and it's pretty easy to see. They stay low. They don't hang out high in the trees. Uh, you mentioned a dripper, and I think the last time you were on with us, you suggested that's a good way, and you just said that maybe because of the moving water, that will attract birds more than just having, say, a bird bath out there. That's right. The, the bird bath will help some. And, you know, a day like today, the last couple of days, the rain has sort of moved out of most of the state, down way down south. I think they may still be getting rain. But birds are desperate for water. And, uh, yeah, a dripper, it, uh, you can get them at, uh, probably could order them online from Go, you know, go, go to Google and find one. Uh, or Wild Birds Unlimited, and mine attaches just ta- attaches to the bird bath, and then I hook it to the water hose and turn the hose on just a little bit, and it drips, just a steady drip, 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 and the birds hear that, and it really brings them in. The splash, you know, the drop of water as it hits the hits the bird bath, mm-hmm. uh, they really like that. I might mention down on Dolphin Island, the folks from Audubon have installed a. Uh, a it's not exactly a drip. When I saw it last, it was a, it, the water just sort of bubbles out and just brings in all kinds of birds uh, at what they call the shell mound down there. Dolphin Island is a real good place to, to look for birds. It's their last stop before they head out across the Gulf. We're going to be visiting with Joe throughout the hour, so if you have a, maybe a bird that you've seen in your yard that you need identified, uh, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Email animals at mpbonline.org. Lloyd has been patiently waiting for us. Uh, Lloyd is calling in from Memphis. You're on the air with us, Lloyd. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning. Morning. Uh, Dr. Dr. Major, I've got a musician's son who just returned from Los Angeles and brought with him a four-month-old uh, Labrador Retriever Australian Shepherd puppy. 
and she's, she's absolutely adorable. She's one of the sweetest dogs I've ever seen. She's training very rapidly, but I swear she has an eating disorder. Um, that dog will eat continuously. If you let her into the pantry, she'll bust into the dog food and eat until she just swells up. She eats her, her bowl of food, um, which is roughly equivalent to that of our one-year-old German Shepherds. She gets that down in less than 10 seconds, and then she will vomit it up, eat it again, vomit it up, and continue the cycle until she gets it all digested. So I'm just wow. looking for some suggestions. First of all, I guess put child locks on the the uh, pantry and other places <laughs> where she can get into food. Uh, she may be smart enough to figure that out as well. Dogs have an amazing sense about uh, finding food. This is a little unusual, and there are some things that may help with her eating. I would certainly feed her at set times during the day. Don't uh, leave anything out, which doesn't sound like she would leave without eating it and then throwing up. Uh, see if you can find at uh, usually a pet store or online. They do have... Uh, Food bowls with a maze. I know this by a maze. They have to work to get the food out. Uh, and I would suggest that that might slow her down some. But it, they have uh, little prongs, I guess, not sharp prongs, but little bumps that will hide the food a little bit, and that should help some with this problem. Is there, oh, is there such a thing as an? Is there such a thing as an eating disorder? Um, uh, among animals? Yes. You guys run into there that? There can be. There can be. And, uh, you know, if you haven't had her checked out by your vet, it might be good to have her checked out. I wonder if she, uh, in her background, if she was raised in a kennel or by an uh, individual. Any idea about that? Well, the story is is that she came from breeders um, who raised both Silver Labs and Australian Shepherds. Okay. And apparently there was a whoops, and uh, that's where she came from. So um, I thought I think my son paid the princely sum of four dollars for her. Okay. And, um, okay. You know she's she's gonna be a great dog. I mean she's a great dog. We're just uh, we're just trying to uh, you know get her some counseling early, early in her life. Uh, right. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a try the try the people food doc, thing and, and I worry about things that uh, yeah she could yeah. have. Certainly, and uh, I would suggest also maybe trying to find a food that she would, you know, uh, you're feeding kibble, that sort of food. We are. Food. We are. We're using a, a large dog puppy chow, which is what our shepherd eats, and, um, and okay. he doesn't seem to have any problem eating that. You're in Memphis, right? Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, I don't know of a... Uh, person that can handle, I'm sure there are people in the Memphis area that specialize in disorders, uh, and uh, I know there's one behavioral expert at Mississippi State, uh, but do seek out help. This is a little unusual for her to eat so voraciously, and uh, I would suggest that uh, she does need to be controlled. It's not good that she throws up uh, repeatedly, and certainly there might be something going on there that could cause her to do that. I don't think she has megasophagus or anything like that, but uh, certainly eating that fast uh, and just woofing, I guess woofing her food down is the correct statement. Uh, See if you can find some way to slow her down. 
And she's not the only animal that has that issue. Horses, for example, uh, can can eat too fast as well, and uh, that can be an issue. So I would suggest that uh, seek out some help. If you can't find anybody in Memphis, call Mississippi State uh, in Starkville, Stark Vegas, if you will. Uh, And uh, anyway... And ask for uh, information about the behavioral specialists there. Okay. Well, we'll Good do luck that. To you. And I appreciate it. Appreciate it very Thank much, Doc. Take care. All right, uh, Lloyd, thanks for the call. Uh, Dr. Major, some humans, uh, myself included, probably eat a little bit too fast on occasion as well. Well, he's a human, Doc, and he's well aware, apparently, of, of those problems. And they are some problems. Uh, I. I eat too slowly, which may be good. I don't know, but I'm usually the last one still eating when everybody else. Maybe I eat too much. But uh, anyway, uh, certainly there can be some problems with with people as well. This is creature. This is, a, this is a little. This is a little unusual for her to eat that rapidly, and then continue to throw up. Okay. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Next, we'll go to Starkville. William has called in today. Good morning, William. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, uh, I I just wanted to mention uh, a couple of the most astounding uh, uh, facts that I scientific facts I ever heard in my whole life, and they both involve uh, uh, bird migration. And I just wanted to draw the uh, the public's attention to the to the story of the red knot, which was identified uh, and is called B ninety five. They've actually gotten identification on this bird. And around the turn of the century, they tracked it. It's a four-ounce bird, size of a robin or a morning dove. And they have observed it uh, making a 5,000, a 6,000-mile flight from either New Jersey or the St. Lawrence River to the, the uh, heel of Brazil, the, the, the high point on the uh, uh, east coast of Brazil. And that's just the longest flight it makes, 5,500 miles, I think they said. But over the course of its uh, migration, it pro- has to fly from Baffin Island in the Canadian, high Canadian Arctic down to, to Tierra del Fuego on the tip of South America. And that's a 20,000-mile trip. And if you add a, oh, 13,000 miles to feed its young and to, to feed itself while it's in the Tierra del Fuego, it probably does 33,000 miles a year, and it probably flies. Therefore, they've tracked it for 18 years. They've caught the bird three or four times. There's a book on it, too, if you're interested, a fabulous book on it. And uh, uh, they, they have observed it with uh, binoculars half a dozen more times, so they know it's the same bird, and then they tracked it for 18 years, and they don't know how old it was when they first found it. It was already flying, (laughs) making this round trip, and uh, so that's just a a really remarkable. Three-quarters of a million miles it probably has flown in its lifetime, guessing that it lived to be 22, two years old when they found it, and two years after they lost, the book was written. But that's only that's only the beginning. There's a a, a book called the uh, the bar-tailed uh, godwit in Alaska that flies nonstop from Alaska to New Zealand. 
7,500 miles nonstop, eight days with no stops. They actually have proved it. They put a they put a, uh, uh, a monitor embedded it surgically in the bird, so they're able to observe it uh, with satellites, and they know it flies nonstop, <laughs> unbelievable distance, and it doesn't even have to stop the drink because it's burning fat. And one of the uh, one of the byproducts of uh, of combustion is uh, both both carbon dioxide and water. So it really is probably expelling water rather than having to stop the drink. But I just thought that that uh, that story comes out of the uh, out of the uh, uh, oh the bird the, the great bird lab at uh, uh, Cornell, Upper New York State. Yeah, Cornell. Cornell, mm-hmm. yeah. And by the way, the the moon bird is the title of the book that tells the story of the of the Red Knot by Philip Hoos. The moon bird is the uh, source of that information. He, they've written a book on it. They need to write a book book on the Bartail Godwit, too. Anyway, uh, I thought that the public would be enjoy knowing these remarkable uh, accomplishments. Actually, too, the, the Maori, the Polynesians, uh, claim in their mythology that they saw these birds that, that don't have webbed feet flying south in the South Pacific, and that that's how they discovered New Zealand. They've only been there for about a thousand years, but they saw these birds flying south, and so they knew there had to be land down there for them to to uh, survive. So that's an interesting sidelight on the story. Okay, good luck. Hope that's of interest. Yeah, William, thanks for the call. Joe, two amazing stories about migration it is, there. It is of interest. Uh, I'm always amazed and just a little bit humbled when I think about how the birds the distances that they migrate and the span of time that they take to do their migration. Uh, but us humans have thrown up some problems for them. The knots, <clears throat> the red knots, need to tank up every now and then. And one of the places they tank up for, you know, and eat something is in uh, New Jersey. Uh, some coastal places in New Jersey, they feed on the eggs of uh, horseshoe crabs. And... Uh, <laughs> There's fewer fewer eggs of horseshoe crab for them to feed on nowadays. But, yeah, that that is very impressive what the birds do. There's one bird that comes through uh, Mississippi, a uh, white rump sandpiper, that breeds in the far north and uh, ends up in T- Tierra del Fuego in South America. Mm. Uh, so, so, yeah, when I, I see, and even the little warblers that I was talking about earlier, earlier some of those end up in uh, northern South America, you know, below the equator. Uh they go a long way. <laughs> <laughs> that really, it really is amazing to think, you know, the size of the bird and everything. And then, like I say, once you get over the Gulf of Mexico, there's no let's stop here for a brief moment That's kind right. of thing. You're... No, I mean, they leave without a toothbrush even. <laughs> of course, they don't have teeth. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, uh, it's impressive what they do. But they do have some, it depends on the species, but they have to, to feed. Mm-hmm. The little warblers and vireos and thrushes and so forth that are coming through now are feeding on tiny little caterpillars and other insects that are up in the in the oak trees and other trees um, when they when they pass through. Time for another break on creature comforts. When we get back, we'll continue talking with our guest Joe McGee. Uh, we'll talk about some of the birds he's been seeing and expects to see coming up uh, in the next month or so. Doctor Major will stay on hand, ready for your pet questions. So call in with questions and comments. The phone number is one eight seven seven. 
MPB Ring. It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Kevin Farrell here on Creature Comforts with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest for the hour, biologist Joe McGee. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app, or you can download the MPB Public Media app. When you have that app on your phone, you're able to listen to all the MPB Think Radio programs, all the local ones, uh, on your schedule. Uh, to join our conversation this morning, and we do have a couple of phone lines open, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Going to head back to the phone lines in just a minute, but uh, Joe, we're talking about uh, some of the birds uh, that you uh, might see this time of year don't like to be spotted, and so they're pretty good at hiding. Are there some tips that you can offer to help us maybe spot some of these more elusive birds? Yes, there's, there's several things you can do. Say you're taking a hike in the woods somewhere, you want to move slowly, first of all. You don't want to create a big disturbance, sort of become a part of uh, the environment you're in, and so the birds are less apprehensive of your presence. And after a while, they, you know, the wildlife gets used to you. And what I like to do is listen for chickadees and maybe tufted titmice, Carolina chickadees and tufted titmice, scolding and fussing and chipping. There's something going on. There's something. There's a disagreement among the birds going on. Some little kerfuffle has come up. <laughs> And that attracts other birds, and it attracts some of these migrants that, that we like to see, the warblers, vireos, thrushes. So if you'll just sort of try to determine where this is coming from, it's up overhead, and then uh, you can actually distract the birds a little bit by pishing, and uh, that they think, okay, the fuss is over here now. And, th- and they will actually move move towards the observer, towards you, the bird watcher, and sometimes come in really close, and you'll be, you'll be amazed. And you Maybe a Canada warbler will pop up right in front of you, or the red stars, or maybe something like a uh, blue-gray gnatcatcher, which you know, breeds in Mississippi, but that'll bring them in. That psh, psh, psh is a scolding sound that birds make when they find an owl in the trees or maybe a, ho- or a snake, a squirrel, maybe a cat on the ground uh, if, you know, if you're in your yard or something. But that's a technique that birders have used for years to get birds to come in closer. It'll only work for a little while. Pretty soon they all see what it is. <laughs> it's one of those big old two-legged things that we don't like, and, and they go away. So you have to you know, move on, and uh, maybe it'll happen again. So let's all, we'll all practice our pishing this, psh, 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 this weekend yeah. see how that works. Yeah, you can do psh, 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 or, and I've got a, there's also a, an, Audubon, an Audubon bird call you can use that costs, I don't know, less than $5. That'll work, too, if you, get, if you run out of breath. <laughs> use your Audubon bird call. If you're all pitched out, you can use your bird call. There you go. <laughs> now, y'all just heard that on the air, but what, what actually, what is that? 
Joe, because it's, it's like a piece of, is it a piece of wood and a screw? Yeah, it's just a little uh, cylindrical piece of wood with a screw in it, yeah. That, and you just twisted it. It sounds like outside. It mm -hmm. sounds like the, the chip notes or the scolding notes of birds. And it gets their attention. The difficulty of using this, though, if you're if you're holding your binoculars with both hands, you know you need an, you need another hand. But you you'll work it out. <laughs> uh, let's go to the phone lines. Our friend Bill from Greenwood has called in today. Good morning, Bill. You're on the air with us. Go ahead, uh, Mr. Carroll. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't hear any of the program. I don't know what happened. To it. Can you hear us now? Yeah, I, so I can hear you now. Thank you. Okay, I'm ready. All right, go ahead. You're on the air with us. All right. Okay. Uh, uh, yes, I have a uh, comment about uh, the dog uh, to to doctor uh, to the doctor. But first, I want to ask the uh, gentleman about the birds. Uh, uh, got, it's two birds that I want to identify. One goes uh, <whistles> all day long. He just sits up in the tree going, <whistles> and then I saw another dog, uh, a bird. I thought it was a cuckoo, and it was a dove. And it was doing a different from the morning dove. It was going constantly all day long. And so I'd like to know what kind of birds those two are, if you know. I think the dove that you're seeing, hearing and seeing is a Eurasian collared dove. Is, does it appear to be larger than a morning dove, a little bit larger maybe? No, this dove is a little teeny weeny little dove. Oh, does it say uh, no, no hope, no hope? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! Have you have you, have you gotten pretty good looks at it? Yeah, it's a little teeny weeny little. Does dove. it does it look sort of scaly? Yes, it has some oh. little spots on. Wow! It. Yeah. Uh, I'll be up to see you this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I think you have got an Inca dove. That's a new. Uh, yes, that's what I thought it was too. I'm, yeah, Inca. I'm pretty sure. And we, had, I live in Indianola, and we have probably uh, four or five pairs. But you know what? Uh, the past month, I haven't heard it at all, so I don't know if it's still here. But all summer long, it was doing that. Yeah. I, I imagine it's probably still here. They, sh they, sh they have shown up. In, they're on the the official Mississippi bird list, the list compiled by the Mississippi Ornithological Society. But I'll tell you, I've never seen one in the state. I've just, you know, have luck. That's been my luck. People on the coast see them from time to time, and up in your area, the Delta, they see the Inca doves. Yeah. I've seen Inca doves, but it was in Arizona. Uh, it's, oh, they're, they're hey, sort of a, how do you get here? They're sort of a desert bird. Well, birds' ranges are expanding in some cases, contracting in others. Uh, I can't necessarily give you a, a reason for it, but there's another dove. I think you called in one time when I was on the program, the white-winged dove. Yes, I have seen that one, too, a great big dove. Yeah, and I saw yeah. that one had like a, a ring around its neck. A ring around its neck? Yeah, I think it was a ring. Uh, mm, that's uh, that could be a bantail pigeon, but I, I don't know. Uh, well, I looked in my bird book, and it said that I think it said that they were down around St. Petersburg, Florida. They were import of some kind. Not the Euro. I'm not sure. What, I'm 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 drawing a blank here. Eurasian collar dove. That wasn't it. No, no. I, I think it was a different kind of dove, and they said it had come from somewhere imported in Florida. And it was a big dove, 
I don't know what kind it was, but I saw that in my bird book. Yeah, the the Eurasian collared dove is sort of like a morning dove, but it's a little bit larger. And it has a it looks it, it appears to have been in the dust. It's it has a dusty to me anyway, sort of a dusty appearance. Uh, yeah. Eurasian collared. I'm not sure about the one you're talking about imported from Florida. I, I, you, I'm drawing a blank. I I just don't know. Uh, what was what was the other bird you meant? Oh, the call. It was a little little gray bird. It was, does That's it, all you ever do it. Have you have you gotten pretty good all looks? Have you got pretty good looks at it? Yeah, it looked like I thought it was a cardinal. Okay, I, I know what you're seeing. Like it's probably right. I think you're seeing a tufted titmouse. They have a crest. Okay. They have a crest like a cardinal, but it's smaller than yeah, a cardinal. I can, I can see it. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a pretty common bird. That would make sense. Tufted titmouse. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yes. All right, uh, Bill, good to hear from you this morning. Let's uh, move on. Stay on the phone lines next. It's Dari in Tennessee. Good morning. Uh, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Dan. Dan, sorry. My eyesight is getting worse as I get older, Dan. I apologize. Go ahead. <laughs> good morning. I've got the same problem. Uh, I had a comment on the, the gentleman called in with a dog that was eating too fast. Right. Yeah, I don't know if it would help or not. I had a lab that had been abused before I got her, and uh, she had the same problem. She just woke her food down. I have several other dogs. What I do when I fed the dogs uh, with, with dry food, uh, I take her off to the side, and I would just hand feed her out of the bowl and make her eat slower. And after a while of doing that, maybe a week, she would start eating slow by herself out of the bowl, and then I'd start feeding her right next to the other dogs. But uh, that worked with her, and of course, there's an underlying physical problem, you know, that, that won't help. So, like you said, you know, talk to the veterinarian and see if she got a nutritional issue or something. But that worked for that dog. I don't know if it helped him. So, All right, Dan, so good, good suggestion. We appreciate you calling in this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, get one more call in before the next break, and it's Sue calling in from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Uh, have your radio turned down, Sue. This is oh, Creature sure. Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, get one more call in. Go ahead. Wait, okay, thank you. I want to ask your guest if there if there are any migratory bird counts like there are with land, you know, with other birds here on land. But do, do, does anybody do migratory bird counts? Yes, after after a fashion. For instance, uh, there are people who count hawks. They go to Hawk Mountain in Pennsylvania and tally the hawks that come through. And this goes on throughout fall migration. That's one that takes place. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's one. I'm not aware of one in Mississippi, but, you know, there's almost some kind of bird count going on on at any time of the year. Uh, How how are the migratory birds? I mean, is there a decrease in the population of migratory birds? Probably so. I, to tell you the truth, I see fewer than I used to, but uh, I, I, you know, I don't have a study to prove this. Uh, you know, data say you know to prove it, but I, I think so. Can I ask you another question? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, last week I called in about this. This it looked like a, an eagle landed right outside my office window for about three seconds, covered with very dark brown feathers with little black speckles on it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I don't have access to the internet, so I don't know what it is, but it's. it's Postal ever since I've never seen a bird like that before. Since it's a large bird, like a 
like a hawk or an eagle. I thought it was an eagle. Yeah, I actually heard you when you called in. The thing that popped into my mind, and I can't say for certain, but because I kind of need more information, but you mentioned the black spots. Did it sort of look like a Dominic or chicken? <laughs> kind of like that, yeah, with very dark brown feathers. Yeah. I, it's a hawk. I'm pretty sure it's a hawk. Did it have a really hooked bill? And did you mm-hmm. see, were you able to see? I think it's. Pro, do you live in, in sort of a woodsy area? Or are there woods? Yeah, I'm out, out the state of Desoto National Forest, huh? I I have a feeling that what you saw was a uh, a red-shouldered hawk, a young one, hmm. a young red-shouldered hawk. This is a pretty good-sized bird. Yeah, yeah. They're they're large birds. They're slightly smaller than a red-tailed hawk. It's a big bird. Well, thank you. Do you have squirrels in in your yard? That's what he was after. Yeah, they love. I, the evidence is mounting that it, that it was a red-shouldered <laughs> hawk. I, I, I'm not a hundred. I can't say for certain. I'm not a hundred percent sure because I need a little more information. But the, those, when you mention the black spots, that tells me it's it could be a, a red-shouldered red hawk. Yeah. Do you Google? Do you go to uh, right now? All my phone. Because I don't have internet service here, so. I'm anxious to get a book or get on a computer and look to see exactly what it looked like, you know. Yeah, yeah. when you get your computer, go to uh, uh, all about, you know, the Cornell Laboratory website, uh, all about birds. And you, okay. can t- you can type in any species you want to check on, and it you know, all, all the information, including the sounds they make, will, will come up for you. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Good to hear from you, Sue. It is time for our last break of the hour. When we get back, we'll wrap things up with our guest, Joe McGee. Dr. Major still on hand, ready for pet questions. So uh, if you want to join our conversation, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 Email animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to wrap things up after this final break. We're back on Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and our guest today, biologist Joe McGee. Still a little bit of time left to join our conversation at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Next on the phone, calling in from southwest Mississippi, here's Richard. Good morning, Richard. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to say about... Uh a bird uh, to Mr. McGee, uh, yellow green. I heard you pronounce it a minute ago. Vario. 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 Yeah. I've got uh, probably I've know about four that stay around in my yard. I've noticed, so uh, I just wanted to comment on that. Yes, the the word vario comes from uh, I think it's Latin that means I am green. Are is your does your yard have a lot of shrub, shrubs or shrubby area? A brushy area. Well, I got brush, and I'm just I'm surrounded by nothing but timber. You know. Yeah, those wooded area. Uh huh. Those white-eyed vireos, which are coming through right now and and vocalizing as they migrate, uh, they like they hang out in brushy areas. That, in fact, that's where they nest. They they will go into the woods as well, but you often see them in uh, you know areas that are short, like a, a blackberry thicket, that sort yeah. of that sort of thing. Well, I got that too. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've got the 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 habitat for uh, the white-eyed vireo. The red-eyed vireo is more of a woodland bird, more of a forest bird. You could have those as well in your timber, probably. Uh, and then there's one called a yellow-throated vireo, which also likes the woods. And all of those, all three of those vireos, breed in Mississippi. Okay. Do you know Do you, do you know the song of the white-eyed vireo or the vocalizations? 
No, I I haven't noticed. Uh, I don't know if the yellow green's got a vocalization or not, but I haven't heard him. I've seen him up close and tried to get a picture, but he's just too quick for this old man. He's. They are very <laughs> tricky. I've been trying to do the same thing. They are very tricky to photograph. But uh, do you? Can you go online to that all about birds and? You can hear the sound. I bet you if you've got white-eyed vireos, and they are yellow-green, uh, you've, they are vocalizing. You could learn that song, and you can identify them with that. There you There's one. Uh, Not sure. Well, I, I got so many birds. Yeah. You know, I, I hear so much around here. This, you know, I just uh, I probably couldn't pick it out. Hard to pick it out, yeah. Uh, play that again, Josh. When, when the white-eyed vireo gets wound up, they really go, and uh, uh, there you go. Okay. Well, I just have to to listen for that. You were down in southwest Mississippi? Yeah, in uh, Wilson County. It's possible that you could even have white-eyed vireos in the winter. They A small number actually winter in Mississippi, but most of them go down to Central America and, uh, you know, point south. All right, well, Yellow green, yeah. Uh, I noticed them last year more than anything. I, I was paying attention. I was had a lot of time in the hospital and all, and uh, but last year I noticed. Uh, and then this year, I really watched them in the front and the backyard. So mm-hmm. they uh, they real active. It's a beautiful bird. It's one of my favorite birds. Uh, the the all of the vireos actually. All right, Richard, thanks for calling in. Hope you enjoy the birds uh, this uh, fall. Uh, Joe, got a couple of minutes left. We've talked about some of the birds that are here now. Maybe we could look ahead uh, possibly to October, and it's uh, something that bird enthusiasts would appreciate the arrival of. Yes, the sparrows. We have a, a dozen or so different sparrows that uh, that overwinter with us in Mississippi and in the southeast. Some of them can be really hard to see, but some not so hard to see. One of the first ones to arrive it often goes unnoticed as a swamp sparrow. And when they first arrive, they they have these loud chip notes that they give. They're actually fairly easy to find when they first arrive. Later on in the winter, they when they find out where they're going to stay, they get harder to see. But the one that we all look forward to, all bird enthusiasts look forward to, is the white-throated sparrow. That's Java, can you bring up the song? of the It has a beautiful song, and they'll be singing when they first arrive with the first real good cool spell that we have in October. There you go. It's a, sort of a mournful kind of sound almost. It, uh, some people say, Oh, Canada, Canada, Canada. They, they, <laughs> breed, across they breed across Canada. They breed across New York State. Oh, Sam Peabody, Peabody. Or Sam Peabody. <laughs> but they sing off and on throughout the winter until they leave. And I, it's always sort of a melancholy feeling when they leave in late april mm-hmm. uh, I, I always look forward to their arrival and uh, they as i said they sing often sometimes on our coldest mornings you'll hear them singing uh in terms of uh resources we've talked about a couple of them let's uh, remind folks uh, you mentioned the mississippi Ornith- ornithology society uh, you can find that at org. Um, and then uh, All About Birds, that's, is that the one from Cornell? Yes. Okay. That's the Cornell. And it, it, they have everything you'd ever want to know about. It is All About Birds. It's a really good website. And then last week you mentioned the Merlin Bird app. Mm-hmm. 
there's there's a Merlin bird, and I have haven't used it yet, but I have a nephew who has. He emailed me. I hardly ever hear from him, but he emailed me. He was very impressed. You get download this app on your phone, and just hold your phone towards a, an unknown bird sound. You hear a bird sound, you don't know what it is, and it will identify that bird for you. And he tried it out. He on he didn't know what he was hearing, and it turned out. Uh, and then the bird popped out. He saw it, and it was an eastern wood peewee. And they the app. I mean, it's just. Uh, people like me are going to be in the dust. <laughs> you know, you know, apps are going to take over the world. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, my brother is a librarian, so I thought I would mention that if you do not have Internet access at home but would like to access a site like allaboutbirds.org, uh, your local library would be the place to go. There you go. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by you. Uh, if you need to hear today's show or previous show, you can find it at mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced each week by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major and our guest Joe McGee, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.